And what we know about change is that, you know, life is going along, right? Like it was for us all in February, life was going along. We had a status quo, we had our reality, we had our routines, and all of a sudden, boom, the change happened. And states started to shut things down. And we moved into this place of, oh my gosh, when is life going to get back to normal again? And that place is a place of confusion. It's a place of chaos. It's a place of fear. It's a place of anxiety. And we can get stuck there as human beings. Our brains can get stuck in that confusion, that chaos, that, that oh my gosh, when is life going to get back to normal again? Our brains do that on purpose because they don't want us to feel the full effect of the change. It kind of buffers it a little bit for us, right? But if we know how to navigate that change successfully, we can get ourselves unstuck from that place and we can move into our new reality. Hello, everyone. Welcome in here to the Get After It podcast. Guys, I'm stoked. Our guest today is Rita Perea. Um, I, I, I I love Rita. I actually just got a chance to listen back through this one. Uh, so many great tidbits and knowledge. And, and, and I think this is going to be a great episode for anybody who really aspires to be an entrepreneur or who is one. Um, and she just talks about valuing yourself. Um, how to actually, obviously she goes into her background and experience, which is certainly fascinating. Uh, she has this best-selling book uh, out, which is From Fantic, Frantic to Fabulous, How to Raise Your Energy, Tame Your Work, and Transform Your World in the Digital Age. That was a fascinating read for me. Um, I actually listened to that one, and uh, there are a lot of key takeaways that I actually asked her about uh, in the book. She talks about di- uh, something she calls digital detox, which is something I'm very passionate about, um, and also just really about how to put yourself through change. And one of the coolest things that she's doing for Get After It listeners exclusively uh, is you got to listen to the podcast, but she's going to be giving away potentially a free coaching call. So listen to the whole pod. She's going to give you details towards the later parts of it. And uh, with that being said, I I really like this episode. Rita's a friend. Uh, without further ado, Miss Rita Perea, let's cue the intro. This is the Get After It Podcast, where young professionals, entrepreneurs, and action takers learn what it takes to be a high performer. This is more than a podcast. It's a movement. Now, let's get after it with your host, Aaron Griffin. All right, and we are recording. All right. Um, Rita, so excited to have you on. And I know for me... We've had we've had awesome conversations in person, ranging on your background and your expertise, and I'm just really excited to bring this and you to the audience that we have because I think there's so many things that you can help people bring get find clarity in their business, and I'm just fascinated by the work that you do. I think it's going to help any of the young entrepreneurs listening to this, but I think also young professionals. Would you mind starting us off and going back to the beginning? Uh, how on earth, oh, right, that's the, you know, hey, well, you know, where are you from, what's your upbringing, but seriously, like, what's the, uh, give us a little bit of the background of who you are and how you got to where you're at today. Oh, you bet. First of all, thanks so much for inviting me on today. I am so excited 
Um, I have had so many experiences working with young professionals, and this is my favorite audience. So I'm so thrilled to be here with you. Um, yeah, I'd love to give you my background. So long ago, I started out and very early on, I became a school superintendent. I was only 40 at the time. I was a senior leader. I had 12 people who were older than I was who were reporting to me. And, you know, I was really green and I had to make some really difficult decisions because what I found was we were getting way too much money from the state. The person that I followed into that position had committed some fraud. So I became a whistleblower and it was an amazing experience. It was a difficult experience. I learned so much from that experience. Um, I left that organization and went on to my next superintendency. And I found the same thing there, if you can imagine that. I felt like I was in Groundhog Day, the movie, right? Chevy Chase hitting his uh, snooze alarm every single morning. I found the same thing, but I knew how to do, do what I knew how to do, right? I knew how to take care of these problems. So I got to work taking care of them. The long and short of it all is I turned around to significantly financially failing organizations at a very young age. So I was the CEO of the organizations. I got tons of experience, but in the process of it all, I burned out. I burned myself out. I woke up in the emergency room, looking into the eyes of a cardiologist who said, looking over his glasses at me, young woman, do you know how lucky you are to be alive right now? I don't know what you're doing with your life, but whatever it is, it needs to change. I'm gonna give you two weeks off. I want you to think about it. And then you come back and you tell me that you're not doing this job anymore. And Aaron, I was only 40 at the time. This was my dream job. I had been groomed and I had trained and you know, I was like a thoroughbred horse ready to run the race and my race was over. There was no race to run anymore. And so um, I quit, I resigned because I knew that if I continued on this track, it would kill me. And so um, I took six months off and I figured out, you know, what did I want to do? I cleaned up my health. I, you know, decided to pray and meditate and journal and all the really good things that we know that we should be doing for self-care, right? I had good nutrition and lots of supplements and, you know, did yoga and all of that good stuff. And slowly but surely during that six months time, a business idea formed and I decided to become a leadership consultant that would do coaching, and would help people who are leaders in organizations basically not burn out. And so for the last 20 years, that's been my mission, helping leaders in organizations, helping them uh, you know, with their teams, helping them with their lives, helping them get it all together so that they have a healthy, happy life. 
And that's what my book, From Frantic to Fabulous, is all based on. And I think we're probably going to be talking about that uh, a little bit later. So that's my story. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that you, you, you feel like, you know, you're built up. This is my dream position. But then it wasn't. And now you would say you found your dream position. I, I want you to talk about that transitionary period a little bit. What was it like? Uh, who did you end up having as your first client? What was that path like going from a, I don't want to say set income because you were the leader of the organization, but still now you're creating your own uh, business. What was it like developing that very first partnership and that first client uh, versus where it's at today? Oh, that's a really great question. Thank you for asking it. So yes, this was a major pivot in, in my life. And as I look back on it, you know, one of the things that um, it took me a long time to discover was my ego was really, really, and my identity was really enmeshed with my position and with my status and with, um, you know, with my power, if you want to call it power, but that job became my identity. And that was, <clears throat> that was the hardest thing for me because my identity was gone. And I didn't think about that when I decided to resign. And I was certainly too young to retire, right? Um, that wasn't an option. So my identity was gone and I had to rebuild that identity. But I decided that I was not going to allow ever again my identity to become enmeshed with what I did. So, you know, I've worked really, really hard to keep my ego out of this, to maintain my ego at a healthy level, and to be able to do my work with my clients from a very uh, heart-centered place, but also I give them practical strategies that are very head-centered too. So it's a very balanced approach. What I did when I left my position, I started to look at my network. So I had a real entrepreneurial spirit, uh, even within a salaried position, you know, I'm a real pioneering leader and I was always pushing the envelope in every single job that I was doing. I was pushing the envelope. And when I made the transition, I looked at my network. I had a very large network of people who were corporate leaders. Uh, I'd been through a leadership program myself with a lot of business people, and that gave me a really great network all across the state. Plus, I had a really large network in school districts, you know, with school district leaders. So I started to reach out to those people. And I landed my first gig with a really, really great school district. It was like one of the top five. Now, my, my last school district, I was uh, the head of one of the top 30 in our state. And I was one of only 22 females in that position. This school district that I worked with, um, 
they really needed my help and it was a really great fit. And, you know, they had, um, they were just a very, very prestigious school district. So I couldn't have asked for a better client to make a transition with. And it was all because these guys, they were two guys, right, who were running the district. They were friends of mine. They respected me and they were willing to uh, take a chance on me as my business, you know, started out. And then I landed my first corporate gig and that was really exciting. And your audience might get a kick out of this. So I um, was helping Enterprise Rent-A-Car and I was helping them groom their young professionals, people who had just finished college. And I was teaching them how to shake hands, look people in the eye, call them by their first name, right, as sales associates. So that was my first corporate gig. And from there, I got featured in an article in our local business journal. My business was touted and the corporate clients started to call. I was still working my network, don't get me wrong, but the corporate clients started to call. And so after about three years, I was able to leave the school district world and emerge fully into the corporate world. And that was a great day of celebration for me because I, I knew then that I had a viable business that people would pay money uh, for my services with. You know, I'm, I'm going to get into your book in a couple couple questions, but I actually want to, because I, 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 I had so many questions on the book that I came in with that I, I wanted to discuss and topics, but I do want to actually build on that in the sense that it's so interesting how um, sales comes into play when you people don't have experience coming out of school or whatever it is with actually working with people and building relationships and ultimately sales ability. And it's the reason I want to ask this question is I just, it just hit me because I just did uh, a podcast today. It's May 8th that we're recording this and I just put it out um, talking about what I see sales as, which is equally a transfer of confidence as it is enthusiasm. You know, and mm -hmm. for, for me, I see it as a, so when somebody's selling something, they have to have confidence that the product that they're selling is solving this is, is the solution to whoever is going to be purchasing. They have to have confidence in what they're selling, but they also, and this is the second part. I think this is where sometimes salespeople will run dry because a lot of the things that salespeople sell are not that exciting is you have to have an enthusiasm for the person you're selling and how they're going to utilize the product. You have to really believe in the enthusiasm that you have for what somebody's going to do with the product equally as confident you are in the product itself. But that being said, that's just my philosophy with it. And I just put that out there. I want to get your take on sales and why, why is it important for somebody who is a young professional, a young entrepreneur? Why is sales important to get experience with, even if you're not going to be in a sales job or anywhere close to a sales role? Why is sales experience important and how has it benefited you as you've been able to grow your company over the last several years? Great questions, Aaron. I believe that we're all selling all of the time. I mean, you know, when you're in a job interview and I have a lot of experience mentoring and sponsoring young professionals and helping them with their career paths, when you're in a job interview, you are selling yourself and you do have to bring that dynamic enthusiasm to that situation. 
when you are building relationships, you're selling yourself, right? Uh, Zig Ziglar said, stop selling and start helping. And so the way that I look at sales is, I have some services that I know can really help people, can really move the needle for them. And I know that I'm selling, but I'm really helping people. And that's what gets me out of bed every single morning and allows me to continue to sell because I know that I'm helping people and I'm helping them by educating them. And I am a natural educator. And education is really sales if you boil it all down. So for me, it's all full circle. I think it's also very important in the sales process to really like the people that you're selling to. If you don't have a vibe with them, it's probably not going to work. You gotta figure out, you know, what are they like? What do they want? What are their pain points? And then you can sell to those pain points. Your solution needs to be able to solve those pain points for them. And you have to be passionate about it, right? And then you can be successful with it. But I believe that we are selling all of the time to everyone that we meet. And it, it comes naturally to me. It, it wasn't a big pivot or shift for me. I love that. I love that. You know, I, uh, one of the things I love about your book and it, it actually, it was funny because it hit me as a kind of an epitome. I, uh, about three weeks ago I started and I, I tore through your book months ago, but it was, it was, uh, or the audio book of it months ago when I was on my trip. But one of the things that I want you to expand on and elaborate on, um, is the, you talk about the, uh, you, in your words, it's the detox from digital devices. And yeah. one of the things I did that <laughs> I'll call it, it changed my life, but I've only, I only did it three weeks ago. Uh, I take my phone out of the bedroom and I'm still cheating. It's on the other side of the bedroom. So I still have to get up and, and get it in the morning, but I wear a, I have an Apple watch. So that's what wakes me up in my alarm. So I don't have to have, I'm not dependent on my alarm ish from the, from the phone. So my, I guess my, it, what that's done is it's pulled all of the, you know, your phone is like an extension of yourself. And we use these things, we're addicted to them in a, in a crazy way. And what I found was it's actually the most healthy way for me in the morning is to not look at the damn thing. Cause when I don't actually look at it for the first 20 minutes or so, and I go out, I make my coffee and then I read for 10 to 15 minutes. I just, I can't read unless I get it in in the morning. I feel so much more focused. So when I pick up my phone, it's now a tool and it's no longer something that's like just this thing that I, I, I it's just another, it's just, it's me, but an extension of my virtual self. You want to talk about the detox of digital devices and you want to talk about how you laid that out in your book? Cause I, I, I've been waiting to ask you about this. I want you to expand on this for our viewers. Yeah, you bet. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, the book is called From Frantic to Fabulous, How to Raise Your Energy, Tame Your, your Work, and Transform Your World in the Digital Age. So it is all about removing ourselves from our digital world at appropriate times and for appropriate lengths of time. And that's different for everybody. 
you know um some people they may want to remove themselves digitally for a full 24 hours some people that i know have done it for a full seven days which is incredible yeah if you think about that uh, but it's different for everybody so hats off to you aaron for moving your phone across the room that's a great first step um, we can get addicted to these devices and that's one of the points that i make over and over again in the book and what can we do to shift that not only can we get addicted to, you know, and have these habits that are not supporting us, um, but I talk a little bit about this in the book. I'm really concerned about the EMF waves that are coursing through our bedrooms, you know, from our modems, from our phones, all of these waves, these electronic waves that are coming through our brains because our brains were not designed to have EMF waves coming into them in our bodies as well, you know? And we could get into a whole discussion about 5G with all of that, but we won't have time to do that right now. But it is really important to look at our habits. That's what the entire book is about. It's 20 chapters of looking at our habits and figuring out which habits are supporting us, which habits are not supporting us, and then making a change. And you only have to change one habit at a time. And the way that I outlined the book was, you read the first three chapters, and then you skim the table of contents, and you look at, where's my pain point right now? What do I need to learn about? Do I need to learn about digital detox? Do I need to learn about being contemplative in a garden? Do I need to learn about meditation and prayer? Um, do I need to learn about my workflow and making it a wow process? And then you simply go to that chapter, which is very, very short. It was written with your audience in mind, very busy young professionals. You go to that chapter, you read it, it's going to take you five to 10 minutes max, and then you'll have an activity to do at the end of the chapter. And then you're good to go. You just put those new habits into place. So I think digital detox is one of the most important things to take a look at for our work-life balance, for our sanity, for our health, for us just feeling and thriving and being our highest version of our best self out there in the world. Love this. I love this. And the, the, the 5G discussion is something that we're going to have to talk about, but not on this podcast because it's not as related, but kind of to build that in. Um, we know that with 5G, it's going to speed up the, the speed of transfer of uh, I'm probably going to butcher exactly what 5G is, but I'm, I'm fairly well versed in it. But it's like it's going to speed up the way that we're able to process data from point to point. And it's going to And one thing I saw with uh, I think it's Founder Magazine. And we'll see how coronavirus impacts all this with everything shutting down. But they were predicting that over the next six years, over three billion new people are coming online. We're expanding the digital world, uh, at, you know, right now. We're living through the, what will be probably remembered as the expansion of the digital age around the world. So my question for you is actually just, again, 
focused on the book. You talk about how to thrive in the gig economy. Now it's probably almost more important than ever to get that message across, especially with some of our younger listeners. They are in an unstable job market and I think probably you might be the same. I don't think it's going to bounce back right away where this is going to make some permanent changes that we're going to have to adjust to. So what, where, where do you see, what's the best way to set yourself up to win in the gig economy if you were 18 to 22 years old and all of a sudden your potential job offer has disappeared or frankly, there's just a lot less stability of what's going on. The world is going towards the internet. What's the best way to set yourself up to win in the gig economy that we have today? You bet. Absolutely. One of the first things I think that you need to do is get clarity around what your strengths are. And it's really important that we play to our strengths. I'll give you a little bit of my own personal story. So I wasn't born as a superintendent, right? And I actually got trained early on in my career to be a consultant. And uh, I was sent to Harvard and I learned how to be a speaker when I was only 28. I learned how to be a consultant so I could sell programs to people who didn't want to buy the programs. And I'm not saying exchanging money, I'm saying, you know, selling the ideas of you now have to do this, right? Uh, and one of the things that I was so blessed about was I had a great mentor, a really great mentor who saw my strengths and who helped me hone those strengths. And so for your listeners, one of the very best things they could do is take something like the Strengths Finder. That's online, it's easy to do. They could take a disc profile. That would give them lots of information about you know, what their strengths are. And then find a mentor. Find someone who can you know, volunteer to work with you. Maybe it's an uh, a retired executive. Maybe it's someone, a college professor that you had. Um, maybe it's the person who lives next door to you, who, you know, is a CFO in a corporation. I mean, find yourself a mentor who can help you with any of those hard decisions that you need to make. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe you hire yourself a coach, right? And then when you get a little bit of um, runway under your feet, then it's really important to take it to the next level and find someone who will sponsor you. So research is showing us that it's not enough to have a mentor. We need to have a sponsor too. Well, what is a sponsor? A lot of people don't know about that. Well, a sponsor is someone who will lay down their social capital to promote you and to help you get introductions to other people in their circle. So that means that as a young professional, you've got to be dependable, you've got to be reliable, you've got to do what you say you're going to do. Because if you don't have those behaviors and if you don't communicate well and you don't have all of your stuff together, you're not going to be able to attract the sponsor 
who has a vast network who can open doors for you, right? These people are really high, highly accomplished. They're high achievers. Their time is very, very precious. And there are a lot of people who want to be sponsored by them, but they don't have time to do that to everybody. So you've got to stick out. You've got to stand out from the crowd. You've got to be innovative and you've got to be leaps and bounds above everybody else to attract not only a mentor, but also a sponsor. That is, that's, that's really great. You know, um, I want to ask you because you work with a broad range of companies and a broad range of industries and you, you do in your consulting work. And obviously before we, before we, stop doing things as a society. You also were speaking at events and doing all these crazy things. I want to ask you about um, relationships and not so even relationships, just the human dynamic. Because when you go into companies, my assumption would be the reason you can work in different industries and different companies is because at the end of the day, it all comes down to the ecosystem of human beings that are in that company. And you can look and see what people are doing wrong that um, it, it, that can be changed and adjusted to find better success. And I guess my question is on this, like, when you have, when you work with people who have done incredible things, built a company, you know, they, they built a whole team or whatever it would be. I think one of the fascinating things that I've learned is that as I've been in this space more and more is that, you know, we're all, some of us have some of our crap together. Some of us have a lot of our crap together, but no one has all of it together, right? What's some of the most self-sabotaging things that you see when you're working with some of these high performers who are leading some of these companies and organizations, what are the most common self-sabotaging habits or traits that you notice that you're like, oh, if they only stop this one habit or this one thing, they would not only be better individuals, but they'd lead better companies and, and it would just be a waterfall effect from there. I'm just curious if there's anything that comes to your mind for that. When I look at organizations, when I'm working within organizations, corporations, one of my strengths is to really look at the political landscape and who's doing what, um, who's positioning themselves, who is um, missing the mark, who the future leaders are, um, who is not being sponsored but should be, all of those kind of things. And one of the things that I see people, and we're, I'm talking about really smart, great people, um, that they do is maybe they don't know how to build those relationships. Like some people are so brilliant that they don't take the time to actually talk to other people. And that will stall your career in a heartbeat because people want to follow a leader that they know, that they like, that they trust, and that they know values them. So one of the things that I often have to teach leaders that I'm doing one-on-one -on -one coaching with is you need to walk around your organization in the morning and you need to talk to people, genuinely talk to people and say, hey, how's it going today? How's your dog doing? I know you had to take him to the vet last week or, hey, how did your son's baseball game go? Or 
something like that, right? I also have to teach them that they need to send thank you notes, handwritten thank you notes, or emails, or specifically citing, hey, Aaron, great job. You know, I really love the way you programmed that, whatever it was, and, you know, call people out for doing those good things. I call it having your laser beam on constantly looking for the good things that people are doing and cheering them on and lifting them up and inspiring them to do even more good things. That's how you engage employees, right? So it almost gets back to that sales conversation that you and I had earlier. You need to be people focused. You need to be interested in other people to be able to educate them, to be able to help them, to be able to support them. And if you can't do that, then you are not gonna make it to the top of your game. Your career is going to stall out. So one of the best pieces of advice that I give um, to people I'm working with who are trying to move up the ladder is we need to teach you how to build these relationships in a genuine way because you can't be in your own little bubble all of the time. You need other people. You need to collaborate with other people and you need to know how to talk to other people so that they don't feel like you're talking down to them. So I'd like to give you an example of that. I was working with a vice president in a healthcare organization and this healthcare organization was killing it. I mean, they were smoking it. They were taking over the world. And she was very, very competent as a vice president. And the president CEO was going to be retiring. He was doing some succession planning with his board. And he was looking at her to maybe fill his step or fill his shoes, right? To be his successor. She had a big problem. She was very competent in what she did, but people didn't like her very much. And they didn't like her because she was constantly processing in her head. She was a great problem solver. She constantly lived in her head. But when she saw people in the hallway of their organization, she wouldn't even say hello to them. She wouldn't acknowledge them. She was so focused on what she was thinking about, she would walk right past them. And I pointed this out to her after watching a couple of interactions that she had, and she was mortified that she was doing this. She was completely and totally unaware. But if she didn't change that habit and start building relationships with people and start communicating with people, she was not going to be able to get this great, huge job. And I was hired to help her do this because the organization saw that this, this was a flaw. And so the golden, golden day was, she came into my office and she said, Rita, Rita, I've got to tell you this this is a huge win and i said what and she said i was in the bathroom and i was washing my hands at the sink and someone came out of the stall i looked at them in the mirror and i went back to washing my hands and i left the bathroom 
And when I left the bathroom, I figured out, oh my gosh, I didn't say anything to that person. I didn't acknowledge that person. I didn't say hello. I didn't make small talk. I turned around. I went back into the bathroom and said, you know what? I am so sorry. I was thinking about a problem in my head and I wasn't trying to ignore you. I was really just focused on this problem. Are you having a good day today? That was a huge win. I knew we'd made a transference in her behaviors and she was well on her way to that awareness and changing those behaviors and becoming the successor. And she ultimately did. I love it. I love it. You know, how, how much, I guess I'm trying to think how to frame this question. So you, you, you obviously do work for in different capacities, a lot of different, uh, different businesses, but I would assume it's niched down, you know, where you can apply the most pressure and where you are, your strengths, as you mentioned earlier, where your strengths are going to be deployed the best way for somebody that's starting out and trying to find the best way to serve people even if they, let's say, and you mentioned the, the Gallup uh, Strengths Finder, phenomenal, right? And, and how do you, once you know your strengths, and let's say you even have a lot of experience or, or no experience at all, how do you determine and niche down your offer that you can really uh, serve that particular group or that person the best? So like from an avatar standpoint, you're trying to figure out the best person possible that you can make an impact on and it's worth doubling down on finding those people than waste time with anybody else because that's the biggest place that you can provide the absolute best and most valuable um, efforts in. How do you, you wanna take us through your process of niching it down over the years? Because I'm assuming it was a lot, it's a process to get to where you're at today. You wanna to talk about that? I'd love to, absolutely. So one of the first things that I did in my business um, I went to a workshop and it hit me over the head like a ton of bricks. I needed a branding voice. And so I would say for your uh, young professionals, for your audience, if they're just starting out uh, in the gig economy or with a business or whatever they're doing, um, have a branding voice, even if it's their, just their personal branding. If they have a corporate job or, you know, they've got a salary, you still need to have a branding voice. And what I did, Aaron, was I looked at my business at the time and I said, okay, this is what my business isn't. I knew my business was not going to be fun, right? I mean, people have fun with me, don't get me wrong. You know, my clients love me, but like we have hard work to do. This is hard work. It's not going to be, you know, a ton of fun. We're just not going to have a circus event all the time. So figure out what your business or what qualities are not about you, would not describe you, right? What are those qualities? What are those words that would not describe your business? And then flip it around and say, okay, now, what is my business all about? What are those words that would describe my business? So for my business and for myself, my personal branding is I'm professional, I'm personable, I'm approachable, I'm poised, and I'm an expert. Those are my five magic words, right? And for my business, 
I want my business brand to exude that it's contemporary but classic, right? That the strategies that I'm giving to people are practical, they're data-driven, they're research-based, uh, they're best practices. I'm not making things up on the fly, right? These are tried and true things. And I want people to know that they can trust me, that they can like me, they can get to know me, and they can trust me. And there's a really deep side to myself and to what we do together. So figure out first your branding voice, what your business isn't, then what your business is, what you aren't, what you are. And from there, you can figure out what kind of businesses then should I approach? I am not going to be approaching the owner of a balloon shop. That would probably not be a good fit for me, right? It doesn't go along with my niche. But because I am a former executive and I know the pain points that executives, that managers, that executive directors, that those folks face day in and day out, they are the perfect companies or organizations for my talents. Um, I also would encourage your folks to take a look at what are the services that I can easily offer? You know, a lot of people try to offer everything their first few years of business. And I know I'm guilty of that myself, right? And if you have one offer, one really good, well-crafted offer that you can sell um, to that avatar to those people who are gonna be a fit for you, then you're gonna be so much more successful than you've heard of the term throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing if it sticks. Well, that's a business model, but it's not a very good business model. And you're gonna waste a lot of precious time and energy figuring out what does stick and what doesn't stick. Now, something else that I would really encourage people to do Every time you have a project that you work on, take a look at that project, do a post-mortem and say, okay, spend some time. What worked? What didn't work? What could I have done better? Was this client really a fit for me? If they were great, and if not, what would I like my next client to look like? What could we tweak here so that I'm working with clients who are a, a fit for me? So in my coaching world, as an executive coach, what that looks like for me is, or the way that I've implemented this, I have a one-on-one -on -one discussion with anybody who is seeking my services. And we're now doing it via Zoom. And because I work all over the nation, you know, I've been using Zoom for a long time or Skype before that. Um, but if I can get someone to have a cup of coffee with me at a coffee shop, you know, we can have a discussion. The more the better because I like to feel their energy. I can tell just by talking with someone for 30 minutes 
if they're going to be a fit for me or not. Now, I've been doing this for 20 years, so I should be able to do it in 30 minutes, right? Your audience might need an hour. They might need 90 minutes to figure out what is that person's pain point, deep pain point, and what solution can I bring to the table to help solve that person's pain? If you can't bring that solution to the table that's going to help that person solve that pain, it's not going to be a good fit and it's, it's going to be a disaster. I also pay close attention to my gut and I've learned that if I go against my gut, if my gut is screaming, this is not going to be a good fit and I do it anyway, which I've done before, it is not a good outcome for me or for the client. Now, I haven't had very many bad outcomes, but I've had a couple and I've learned from those. You learn, you grow, it's called continuous improvement. You get better. Powerful stuff. I, 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 I love the, and I wanna ask somebody of your experience in working, consulting and, and really, seeing multiple fronts of how people are adjusting in today's economy with what we're in right now. I just want to hear your thoughts, if you don't mind, um, um, as my second to last question here, where do you see us going from a economic standpoint with everything happening in just coronavirus and just, uh, just everything that you're seeing? What, how, just, uh, just speculation on where we're going to be six months from now. Just, I'm just very, really curious. would love to hear your thoughts on this. Sure. So one of the things, one of the things that I've been doing for a long time, Aaron, is teaching people how to navigate change, how to navigate the challenge of change. And that is, you know, teaching them from the stage as a speaker, teaching them as a, a development trainer, um, teaching them as a one-on-one -on -one coaching client, teaching people how to navigate change. And what we know about change is that, you know, life is going along, right? Like it was for us all in February, life was going along. We had a status quo, we had our reality, we had our routines, and all of a sudden, boom, the change happened. And states started to shut things down. And we moved into this place of, oh my gosh, when is life gonna get back to normal again? And that place is a place of confusion, it's a place of chaos, it's a place of fear, it's a place of anxiety, and we can get stuck there as human beings. Our brains can get stuck in that confusion, that chaos, that, that oh my gosh, when is life gonna get back to normal again? Our brains do that on purpose, because they don't want us to feel the full effect of the change. It kind of buffers it a little bit for us, right? But if we know how to navigate that change successfully, we can get ourselves unstuck from that place and we can move into our new reality. So that takes something that we talked about a little bit earlier, figuring out your strengths, having a vision for your life. And right now, because things are changing daily, I'm suggesting that people have a couple of different realities as 
they look out into the future. So the first reality that we want to create, we're creating now as we're quarantined in our homes, right? We're being called to do different behaviors now, to have different behaviors to create this new reality, and we're practicing those new behaviors. So like you and I are connecting digitally over Zoom right now, that is a new reality for all of us. This is the way that we communicate now. That's just part of it. And this, you know, there's etiquette that goes along with this. This is a new behavior that we're all practicing. And I think this is going to be part of our new reality. And then when states start to open up more and, you know, the quarantine gets lifted more, we're going to be creating our new reality then. So we'll have this under quarantine new reality down. But when we get to go out, what does that look like for us? Will we choose to wear our masks all of the time? That's a new behavior. I went to the store last weekend and I had gloves and I have an N95 mask that I wear. And, you know, I even wear them in my car. I wear them when I go to the ATM. But I have to remember to put them in my purse to take them with me. And I have to remember to put my hand sanitizer in my purse to take that with me. And it's become a little more complicated now, right? Instead of just grabbing my purse and my keys and flying out the door, I've got these new behaviors that I've learned how to create now. And I've got to practice those new behaviors to keep myself safe. And then when things fully open up again, which we're thinking is, probably gonna be about July, August, right? What is that new reality going to be looking like for us? Are we gonna feel comfortable going to the coffee shop and maybe going without a mask? You know, um, what will our daily habits look like? Hopefully the good habits that we have right now in this current reality, we'll be taking those, not losing those, into those other realities. So I think what it looks like is new reality, and then we're going to level up a little bit, and then we'll plateau on another new reality when things start to open up, and then we're going to level up our behaviors a little bit more, and then we're going to plateau on another new reality sometime this summer, level up those behaviors a little bit more, and then another new reality this fall. And then, you know, after that, who knows? It'll be a wait and see, but we're getting practice doing this. We ought to be pretty good at it if the virus comes back again, um, you know, in the winter time, we'll know what to do. So economically, what I think this is going to look like, Erin, is we know from the 2008, 2009, 2010 um, recessionary time, research shows us that people put expenditures into one of four buckets. One is, I will spend money for anything that's essential. Food, you know, toiletries, things that we need to live. We'll put money toward that right now. And then the next bucket is, what is a treat for me? And I might spend money on a treat. And that might be 
dining out, uh, not dining out, I mean, doing takeout from a restaurant, you know, doing Grubhub or something like that. In our next new reality, it might be dining out, you know, practicing social distancing, right? But what does that treat look like for me? Um, we haven't been able to get to our gyms. Will it be, I'm going to return to a gym at some point in time, right? And then the next economic bucket that people uh, put things into is, what are those things that I can put off that I don't have to spend money for right now, but I can put it off? For me, it is, um, I have a couple of graphic design projects that I want to get done. And while timing wise, this is a great time to get it done, I'm putting those things off because those are in my bucket of, I don't need to spend money for these right now. These are on my wish list and I'm gonna put them off until the economy is doing a little better. I wanna save my money for the essentials and for the treats. And then the last bucket that we know about economically is what are those expendables? What are things that we can push off indefinitely? We can eliminate them from our wish list. We don't need them. We may want them, but we're not going to spend money for them. And that might mean I'm not going to go out and buy a new bedroom set right now. That is going to be an expendable. We were going to put in a new driveway this summer, and that has now gone to our expendable list. So those are the things that, that we as business owners need to take a look at and say to ourselves, okay, what are some strategies now that I can do in my business to keep myself in that essential bucket? Or maybe I'm gonna move to the treat bucket. But most of, my, most of my clients right now, except the ones that are ending their engagements with me, but most of my clients right now would say that I am essential to their success. And some of the strategies that we can do is send out thank you cards, send out notes. That's the biggest strategy. Use the mail. People don't think about using the mail. And I know that you do that. I know that um, our friend Chandler Bolt does that, right? Sending out cards is a big, powerful thing. Sending out birthday cards, right? Keeping top of mind. And when we are talking with clients or potential clients, as we continue to talk with our current clients, use very soothing words, very reassuring words, we don't want to get them all jazzed up and excited right now, even though we want to be passionate about what we do. People are in a lot of fear right now, and we don't know what's going to trigger them, what's going to push them over the edge. So we want to be very soothing and reassuring and help them know that, hey, I'm going to be there for you. You know, even if, if we can't make this work right now, I'd love to stay in contact with you. I want to check in with you every couple of weeks to see how you're doing, to see if there's anything that I can help you with, anything that you need. And so 
um, you know, what I said about uh, the quote from Zig Ziglar, stop selling and start helping. This is the perfect time to start helping. And we can give, 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 and then we can make the ask again and give, 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 and then we can make the ask again. One of the things that I'm doing right now, and your audience might be really interested in taking advantage of this, if they go to my website, www.ritaparea.com, and Perea is spelled P-E-R-E-A, if they go to that website and they click on my link that says schedule a call, they can schedule a one hour navigating change coaching call with me. I have waived my coaching fees for the months of April, May, and June. I'm not charging anybody to do these. And I'm helping all sorts of people. Yesterday, I got to help a land surveyor who I met at a conference I was speaking at last fall. Um, he reached out to me and said, hey, I'm having a problem with my stepdaughter and I don't know what to do. I'm at my wits end. And you know, would you have time to talk to me? And I was like, yes, let's get it booked. Let's get it on the calendar. And now, you know, I this is kind of out of my skill level or out of my strength area, right? But I do work with land surveyors. They are one of my target audiences, you know, that I speak to. I teach them all professional ethics. So he and I had a relationship. And because I am a former educator, I know about teenagers. I know what they need. And I know about girl teenagers. So I was able to help him. And he went away happy. Now, now, you know, I'm selling my courses online, which is all about professional ethics for engineers and land surveyors. He knows lots of land surveyors who might wanna take my courses. So, you know, that might be my ask from him. Hey, can you connect me with your friends on LinkedIn? Can you hook me up with people at the DOT? Yeah, so it all works out. We're putting great positive energy out there and, you know, people are going to buy from us we're going to be able to sell because we're helping people. Right. Or they're gonna make you know, referrals to us in some way. It's all gonna work out beautifully. And this is a great opportunity for us to hone these helping skills. I love what you, I love the message of it because it's essentially, it's doubling down on how can you serve others. Yes. You know, my, my, my father's got a, a quote. He always, he always used to tell me, he said, you know, money follows and never leads, right? You know, you yes. go put both feet in and, and do what you can to serve others. Hopefully one of the essential uh, dollars from anyone listening to this podcast will go to uh, the book or the audio book or the, uh, or the physical copy uh, from frantic to fabulous, how to raise your energy, tame your work and transform your world in the digital age. Rita, do you want to, first of all, I might have to take, I think I have to take you up on one of these coaching calls. And we'll talk more about that after you want to real quick uh, for the audience members, just to wrap this up. So much fun. How can people get a hold of you? We have your website, your book. How can people find more of you uh, if they've made it this far on the podcast and they want to learn more about Rita? 
Oh, absolutely. So I've got a YouTube channel. Um, I've got, uh, you know, I'm all over social media. You can just Google me. I'm sure I'll pop up everywhere. Um, but the best way to reach me is go to my website, schedule a call with me, click on the link. You know, all of my social media buttons are up there. Um, yeah. I love mentoring young professionals. So if anyone in your audience, you know, wants to, wants to talk, I'm all for that. I'll tell you what, the last time we had someone offer free coaching and it wasn't on the podcast specifically, I have a group of young professionals that meets every week and we have different speakers on each week. And the last time one of the speakers offered that more than half the group, I think like 11 people took uh, her up on the free coaching call. So if you're listening to this, this is to anyone listening to this right now uh, to take advantage of this call. And you said through the end of June, that's so awesome. Rita, thank you so much for coming on. This was awesome. I can't wait to do this again with you as we come out of this. Um, I'm sure we'll be able to see each other in person, hopefully in October or so. And then obviously as we get out of this, uh, we'll be able to maybe reconnect and see how your business has thrived and, and where you're at from here. Thank you so much for joining me on this one. Oh, Aaron, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for the invitation. And I just love what you're doing with this particular community. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. We need great young professionals and we need people like you who are leading them and mentoring them. So thank you for everything that you're doing. Thanks, Rita. Thank you so much.